Well, Michael Thomas's boo-boos finally got the best of him. He's out for the season. Shocker of all shockers. But is that what we should be focused on? Heading into, quite possibly, the biggest weekend of the season for the New Orleans Saints? And they don't even play till Monday. But we'll talk about it today with Jeff Duncan on Datitude, coming up next. If you're looking for the latest scoop and in-depth interviews on the Saints, the NFL, the Pelicans, LSU, along with the best bets of the week, then lucky you. Along with high-powered, in-the-know guests who cover our teams, Jim Derry brings plenty of datitude. And he'll always tell you the way it is, or at least the way he thinks it is. Where are you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends out there who stubbed their toe this morning on the way to the bathroom and had to call in sick for the rest of the year. I mean, somebody out there did. Somewhere. Oh, wait, that was Michael Thomas. Oh, we'll get into that in a minute. Well, hello. This is Datitude, episode number 111. For a Friday, November the 4th. It is November the 4th, right? Yep, November the 4th. 2022, I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times-Picayune, the advocate in bet.nola.com, and, I mean, you know, I, I had a whole little thing that I was playing. I was going to be kind of funny. I was going to have an ode to Michael Thomas. But it's not funny. I mean, I started, I mean, it's, it's really not funny. So, and not only that, we have a jam-packed show today. Jeff Duncan, as he does every Friday, we had our live show this morning at 9.15, as we do every Friday morning at 9.15, on all of our NOAA.com and bet.noa.com social media pages, which you can join in with us if you want to from here on out. Comments and questions, welcome. And then we put it together in this podcast. And we're actually we're going to have a special show on Monday to actually preview the game. We talk about the Ravens game uh, but we talk about a lot of things, and we lead off with Michael Thomas. And uh, so I'm not going to spend a whole ton of time in my monologue uh, talking about it because I think you all feel the same. Oh, not all of you, but I think most of you feel a similar way that I do. And um, so I don't want to jam up. The, this show's long enough as it is. We're going to talk LSU Bama. We're going to talk Tulane Tulsa. We're going to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, and we're even going to give a little prediction on the biggest college football game of the year to date, Tennessee and Georgia playing on Saturday. That's all coming up in my portion with Duncan. But to, let's, let's talk Michael Thomas for a minute. And my take is this. And I am going to try to tone down what I really think because, I, you know, I did see that he had heart last week. I did see him on the sideline pumping up his teammates, getting fired up. So maybe I'm just completely off base. But I don't know how you can take these things any other way. So my take is this. It's one or more of the following three things when it comes to Michael Thomas. There's no other explanation. If someone has a better explanation, please email me at jderry at theadvocate.com or tweet at me at Jr. on Twitter. You're, you're more than welcome to tell me I'm wrong. Please feel free. 
It's one of the following three things or more. It could be two or three of these things. Either the Saints medical staff is completely and utterly inept, which is certainly a possibility. It could be that Michael Thomas just ignored whatever whatever advice he was given medically and says, I'm not doing that. We've already seen that that was the case. Sean Payton got completely pissed off with him when he got hurt the first time. And he didn't want to have the surgery that they asked him to have. And it cost him an entire season. So we've seen that that's the case. So that is probably at least one of the three things. That's probably true. The, the third thing is, and I don't know any other way to say this, but the only other option, if it's neither one of the first two, is that it's just flat out heartless. I don't want to believe that. I really don't. I don't want to believe a player or a person with the athletic ability and the talent that this guy obviously has is heartless. I don't want to believe that. And it's easy for us to say, sitting on the sideline and watching it on television or watching it from the dome in your seat or wherever you may be watching it, it's easy for us to sit here and say that because we're not in his position. But when you see a guy get a five-year, $96.3 million contract that includes a $20 million signing bonus, and he's played in 10 games in three seasons, and when the season ends, that's what it'll be. 10 games in three seasons. You, I mean, that's, that's a word that creeps into my mind. How do you think anything else? Because we've seen people with similar injuries come back and play. Maybe his is different and we don't understand it. And obviously, get into this with Duncan. But you don't know what the medical, the medical staff is going to tell you a whole lot. And, and they're still doctors. There's, there's still privacy between a doctor and a patient. And certainly an organization. And, well, he's a patient. He's not a player. He's a patient right now. So I don't think any of us are ever going to know the real extent of what the hell's going on. Which is all most fans want. They want a damn answer. No one's being transparent. But when an organization puts out the kind of money that they're putting out, People deserve answers, in my opinion. I think, I mean, if, if I were Michael Thomas, wouldn't you come out and say, look, I want to be out there more than anybody? Because that, that's not really what he's saying. He's come out with smart-ass tweets and stuff like that and talked about how, you know, he hates the world, basically, and he's going to show us and show the league and show everybody else, show all the doubters. What did he show? He didn't show Jack. He scored three touchdowns in three years. And they all came in this season, and it looked like he was going to be back. I I took the bait. I put money on him at seasons to be the comeback player of the year. I'm the gullible fool who believed in it. It's frustrating. It's not just frustrating as a fan. It's frustrating I'm sure it's super frustrating for the organization. But is it their medical staff, the same basically medical staff that has handled Zion Williamson 
the past few years? Yeah. So maybe it's them. Maybe Michael Thomas, maybe it's a combination of all three things. Whatever the fact it is, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Because going forward, the salary cap hit that this soon-to-be 30-year-old is going to hit on this team, and even if he comes back, there is zero chance he becomes a shell of his former self. Zero chance. Receivers start going downhill when they turn 29 or 30. Most of them, anyway. And the cap hit on this guy over the course of the next two seasons, a team that's already in cap hell as it is, try $56 million. $56 million of cap hit. Dead cap money. Next year, $25.5 million. The season after that, dead cap money. Which means if they get rid of them, they got to eat that no matter what. Even if someone else takes them, no matter what they do, they eat the dead cap money. $13.6 million in 2024. This isn't a team that can afford dead cap money. I mean, we can talk about quarterback all we want and who should play quarterback. Doesn't matter. I mean, because going forward, and I mean, what's, what are your options? Andy Dalton's no spring chicken. Most of you hate Jameis Winston as it is. They're not going to be able to go sign somebody for $15 million. They're just not going to be able to do it. So then you go looking at the draft. Where's this team going to finish? I mean, you got to think the floor is six wins, right? Six wins probably put you ninth or tenth. The ceiling is probably nine wins. That puts you 17, 18, 19. Who are you going to get at quarterback? You don't have any trade capital. No one wants my... I keep hearing, well, trade him. Cut him. You can't. You're stuck with him. No one is going to trade for Michael Thomas. You cut him, you're stuck eating that money. You have to hope that he gets this surgery or whatever he needs, and then he can come back and be somewhat... Back to his, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be a number one receiver again. I mean, Chris Olave is going to be the number one receiver for this team, barring injury or something silly. But Chris Olave has, no matter what Michael Thomas does, the rest of his career and the rest of his time in New Orleans, he's never going to surpass Chris Olave again. And so you're talking about all this money in this cap space that you got to eat. It's not a good situation. And frankly, people deserve answers. Not going anywhere anytime soon. You're stuck with them. Not trading them. Who's going to play quarterback? That's all a part of this. I mean, it's not just Michael Thomas. I mean, so, and Taysom, you know, what about Taysom Hill? He's 31 years old too, 32. He's not, he's not going to play Taysom Hill the way Taysom Hill plays the next couple of years. This team doesn't have a lot of options. That's why I think it's as important now as ever for them to find a way out of this funk and, ha and find a way to have a decent season. I'm not trying to be Derry Downer, but it could be a rough couple of years here. I mean, think about who, who's on the defensive line. 
How many years does Cameron Jordan have left? How many years does Demario Davis have left? These are all important questions. Marshawn Lattimore is now hurt. I mean, you got, you got a fairly decent young secondary besides him. Well, I mean, he's still a young guy, too. So that's great, but there are a lot of positions this team is going to need to address. And quite frankly, I don't know that they're going to be able to address them. That's neither here nor there. I know we're thinking about the Ravens right now, and that's coming up on Monday. And again, Monday show, we're going to talk all about Ravens Saints and about the matchup. We're not going to spend any time, well, I can't say any, but we're not going to spend a lot of time harping on what isn't. We're going to talk about what is. But that's what today's show is. And that's, what it, that's the story of the day. That's what we have to talk about here, at least in the beginning. And uh, to share my thoughts on it, that's, I had to. Because it's on the mind of just about every Saints fan. And it's disheartening. The good news is that I think, and I said this on Bayou Beth yesterday, if there's any good news that comes out of this, you know he's gone now. He doesn't have to be a distraction for this team any longer this year. Michael Thomas is going to, you're not, I mean, you may see him on the sideline wearing a hoodie. Who knows? You may not. Jarvis Landry is supposed to come back soon. We'll see. Marshawn Lattimore, same boat. We'll see. Uh, Dunk talks about him uh, upcoming. We'll get into the injury situation. There's, uh, there's hope that Trevor Penning will be back soon. That'll help a lot on the offensive line, although I think James Hurst plays, played a lot better. Uh, but everybody played well last week. Can they continue it? Can they have two weeks in a row? Can the Saints move to four and five? And if you look at their schedule upcoming, I mean, realistically, this is clearly the, the toughest game in this little stretch here. And if the Saints can win this game, they potentially could go to San Francisco at 6-5. and five. Not saying that they will, but at Pittsburgh, the Saints are better than them. They'll be favored. And the Rams aren't playing very well right now, as, as good as their defensive front is. You have to think the Saints would be favored at home against the Rams if they were to win on Monday night. But you don't want to jump too far ahead, and you don't want to dwell too much on what you cannot control. So what the Saints can control this week is themselves. You play like you played last week, you're going to win. Plain and simple. The Saints play with the heart, intensity, with the game plan, with the scheme. They're going to win. And Baltimore is a really good football team. They're still going to win. They're banged up too. They have major receiver issues. And they have a running back in Gus Edwards who is questionable. He probably will play. But you wonder how effective it will be and how, I mean, is anyone scared of Gus Edwards anyway? No, you're scared of Lamar Jackson, and he's not injured. Getting in and all that with Dunk. Again, we had fun this morning on the live broadcast. Let's talk about it with him, and we'll wrap it up when he's all done. Dunk, how are you doing this morning, first off? Man, I got, my, I got my big pot of coffee brewed. I'm on my second major cup. I'm finishing my column on... And we've never even even talked about this, but I'm finishing my column. UNO football could that happen? 
They've been um, talking about that that since well before I attended UNO and hey, LSU and all. Hope I mean, comes down Tuesday, JD. I mean, Tuesday we're going to find out. I don't know if it's going to go through or not, but the day of reckoning is here, so it's kind of it's kind of cool. I already drank my coffee. I'm I'm actually on to water. If I drink too much coffee, they won't they won't be able to listen to me, <laughs> especially this morning. With I have what, to have with, coffee. I had a big with, meal last night. I went down to N7. I don't know if you've ever been down there. Down no. Awesome place. And I had a, I mean, right now, I, have, I think you agree, native New Orleanian. I mean, the, the weather, you've got to get out and enjoy it. And we ate outside. It was freaking amazing. So it was a great night to be out. You can eat outside in New Orleans about five to six weeks a year. So definitely go out and enjoy it because, uh, we don't really have much of a fall. We go from for those of you not from New Orleans and just joining in, we go usually from summer into winter. And of course, what we think is winter is not winter. You've adapted now from being from Louisville. I mean, you're you're a New Orleanian now. I mean, to you, fifty is cold now. Yeah, I got thin blood, man. I can't handle it. I cannot. When we were over in London. It was in the low fifties. I was dying. I was complaining the entire time. And you'll be complaining here because we'll be uh, we'll be pretty chilly soon enough. But we don't want to talk about the weather. I mean, we want to talk about the news of the day. And um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tone it down a little bit from my monologue because I know, Mr. Duncan, you are not usually as strong or as negative on certain things as I can be. And I was pretty harsh in, in my monologue. Uh, and for those of you watching the show live, when we're done, I put datitude. Um, on every podcast platform, I add my monologue to it. And uh, so there are things that you will hear in the, the regular podcast that you won't hear here on this live show. And um, I got to say, I was pretty harsh on the $100, mil- the $100 million man. That is MIA again. And that is Michael Thomas. And so my question, and I'm going to pose it to you again as nicely as possible about Michael, Michael Thomas, who now we find out, Shocker. He's going to miss the rest of the season, most likely. But my take on this dunk is it's one of three things. I said one of two things in the Bayou Bet show yesterday. I think it's one of three things when it comes down to Michael Thomas's toe injury and him missing the season. It's either the Saints medical staff is completely in out. And it's one of, it could be all three of these things, by the way. It might not be just one, but it's at least one of these three things. Either the Saints medical staff is completely inept. Either he has completely disregarded the medical advice that he's been given, or it's that, let me say, he's heartless. And that's the nice way to put it. Which one or multiple ones of those things is it? Well, you know, obviously uh, it's a bad situation. There's no way to beat around the bush on that. It's bad for everybody involved. Uh, I saw the word heartless used a few times on social media yesterday by fans uh, I don't know the answer. I'll be honest with you. I, I've done some digging trying to find out. It's difficult to get much info or intel on the situation, I think, because, it, first of all, it's somebody's uh, you know private health for sure. situation. So nobody likes to talk about that. There's, That's right. All is in place for that. Uh, so it's difficult to determine exactly what went wrong. My educated opinion is it's very similar to what happened. Last time, Mike Thomas had his ankle injury, and he wanted to uh, uh, take a conservative approach, which involved rehab and therapy, not surgery. There were two different avenues he could take. 
He chose the one he did not want to get operated on. I understand that. Most people don't want to get cut open. But uh, the recommendation from the Saints in his first injury, which we now know created some problems internally, was to take surgery and to get back as quickly as possible. He elected for a little more long-term conservative approach. It didn't again out and created a problem. I don't know that for a fact in this instance, but it sounds similar to me. I know he was getting a ton of work done, a ton of therapy and treatment. Uh, No one I've talked to, J.D., has said anything other than the guy's devastated and, uh, you know, very disappointed and also put in a ton of work to get back. So clearly something went wrong, and I don't know what it was. Uh, I have to confess I was not at Dennis Allen's press conference yesterday, so I didn't have a chance to ask him these questions. So hopefully I can find out more, ferret out some more information in the future. But I totally understand the frustration from Saints fans because there's been so much mystery surrounding the way his uh, treatment is being applied. Uh, It's led to a lot of, I think, uh, false hope. And that obviously led to the disappointment yesterday and the outrage from so many people. We are taking comments and questions this morning, uh, whether you just have a general comment and feel the way that I do or uh, are a little less strong on it, or you're backing Michael Thomas, whatever it is. Uh, we're, we'll take them here on Datitude. You can leave it in the comment stream, if, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook. If you're watching on Twitter, you can uh, ask me at Jim Derry Jr., and I'll read the, the question on the air if you're, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook and you want to ask a question, we'll show the question on the air. Like, Uncle Big Nick, does anyone have the stats out of the con- – well, it's funny you ask that because I actually have that up here. And it's very interesting. The first four seasons of his career, how many games did Michael Thomas miss? First four seasons. You know the answer to that? I don't know. I mean, I know he played – I thought he played pretty regularly the first – early in his career. Four seasons. He missed one game. One game he missed four seasons. The last three seasons – He's played a total of 10 games, and I was surprised. I got to be honest, I was surprised it was that many. He didn't play any of 2021. He played seven games in 2020. He had 40 catches for 438 yards, zero touchdowns. After scoring, let's see, 27 and 5, 32 touchdowns his first four seasons, he's had three since then. And the sad part is, I really thought that when he came back this season and he, and he came in and played, I, th- I thought he was a different player. I really thought he was. He did look different. And, you know, everyone wants to get excited about how he was rah-rah last week, or I don't know if that was last week. I think it was last week. Yeah, for uh, On the sideline. I mean, but, you know, that, that doesn't do anything for me. I mean, at some point, you talk about his contract, and here's the biggest problem with it all, Dunk. The cap hit for this year, it's a manageable $13 million. I mean, and he's making $15.8 million this year in, in total, including his bonus and restructured portion of it and all that. Here's the big problem. The next, the, you can't do anything with him. People talk about trading him. You, you, no one's going to take him unless you eat a big chunk of the, of the salary cap hit. $28.2 million salary cap, cap hit next year. The following year is $27.5 million salary. You are stuck. The Saints are stuck. And they're, in a, in a, they're already in a precarious situation, Dunk, where – they're not going to be able to sign any big free agents because they're not going to have the cap room. People talk about quarterback and what they're going to do. They're not going to have options unless they draft one and get lucky 
and draft one that can come in and play almost right away. But really, I, I don't see any answers for this team coming up in the future. The future is not bright as far as getting players to want to come here. Right. And so, like, let me just address that earlier stat you brought up. I mean, you can understand. I know Mickey Loomis and Kai Harley, they put in a ton of research on players before they hand out a second contract, before they, you know, make that investment in a player. And part of that evaluation that they make is on a player's durability and availability. I know they, I know they consider that heavily. So you can understand why they gave him a five-year, $96 million contract. He'd only miss one game at the time. Uh, it's just unfortunate. Uh, there's nothing I can see to blame the Saints for giving him that contract. But how it's played out since then, there's a lot of blame to go around. How it's been handled, his, his health and medical situation. I know this about him. He does not follow most players' approach to, to treatment. He's very much his own guy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of players like that. It should be made, it should be made clear. There's a lot of players like that, not just in the NFL. I mean, I think of like Barry Bonds. I'm a huge Giants fan. Barry Bonds had his own personal trainer, his own doctors he dealt with. And, and the Giants put up with it because he was Barry Bonds, right? He produced. And, and to a lesser degree, that's Mike Thomas. The guy's a phenomenal player when he's healthy. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And the Saints have been willing to let him do his thing to make him happy and to hopefully get him back on the field. It had just hasn't worked out, but he, he definitely, it takes a different approach to these injuries and uh, he's not the normal player. And so I think that's contributed to these kind of lingering injuries that have caused, uh, uh, you know, they've caused people, I think, to get hope up that he's going to come back. Uh, it's just a, it's a complicated situation. I don't know if the, if, the team has handled it the way they'd like to handle it, but they're trying to make the best of this kind of awkward situation. Jim Derry with Jeff Duncan here as we do every Friday morning at 9.15, and uh, it's a weird Friday because the Saints aren't playing until Monday. So, again, we're going to have another live show on Monday um, where we'll be talking more about the actual matchup. We will talk about it a little bit here, uh, but we're going to give our, save our predictions for Monday, although it's in my NFL picks column if you can't wait that, that long. Um, but I have another question from my friend Paul Haley, who asked if we, meaning the Saints, ate the guaranteed money, roughly $25 million, would anyone want him for his base salary of $15 million next year and $18 million the following? And before I let you answer that, I think part of it, part of the problem is even if the Saints were to cut him and someone were to pick him up, the problem is they don't necessarily have to sign up for that salary. The Saints are on the hook for that money unless they find someone that is willing to at right. least take on part of the cap hit, which is right. not likely. So, I mean, that, that presents a problem in itself. Yeah, I, you know, it, it, I don't think internally, at least the people I've talked to, I don't sense that they're wanting to move on from Mike Thomas. Neither I, I, do I. I haven't had any of that. Now, that can change, J.D., if the season goes south and, and you, you're looking at maybe a, a complete – makeover right you're going to blow up the roster you're going to start a full-blown rebuilding job that's not the way mickey loomis operates i mean they've wanted to be relevant and in contention all along that's why they keep doing these uh, salary cap gymnastics to try and stay competitive uh, but the reality might hit them soon i mean the, the, the future is looking pretty bleak 
uh, with the salary cap situation. The fact is, I think we can safely say at this point midseason that they misjudged some of the roster and they misjudged how good this team was going to be. Now, they could still maybe rally. So did we. Yeah, they could get back in it, but there's no question they thought they were going to be better than they are. And so that can have consequences in terms of how you manage going forward, and I think part of that evaluation has to include Mike Thomas. I don't think they can move on from him. I think you've got to get what you can out of him, and that's really the issue. You know, We talked about when they give a big contract like this, when you pay a guy basically $20 million a year, you're expecting massive production. And, and everything he'd done his first year after getting that contract, he, he set an NFL record for receptions. So he delivered and, and then some on that contract. But since then, they've had $20 million of their cap devoted to him, and they've gotten really nothing out of it. And then when you throw in a guy like Marshawn Lattimore, who's out with this, this kind of fluke injury, You've got another second contract, major dollars, significant portion of your salary cap where you're getting nothing out of these two major keystones to your to your team. It's it's devastating when that happens. Again, we're, I, I'm going to talk. I have talked, and it just hasn't been published yet as we speak right here. That uh, more about this and what I think about it. And um, so, if you want to get my more of my take, although I'm pretty sure you can read between the lines and what I'm saying. Um, on my monologue, wherever you find your podcast attitude, uh, my monologue is added to that show every Friday. It will come out about an hour after this show ends, which will be somewhere around the 10 a.m. hour. Uh, Jeff Duncan and I are talking about Saints, Ravens, and along with we will talk about LSU, Alabama, Tulane, Tulsa, and the Pelicans at some point. I want to talk about some of the other injuries. Duncan, you touched on Marshawn Lattimore. Do we have any idea what's going on with him and What's the prognosis of when we think that he may be available again, if at all this season? No, I mean, that's another one they've been keeping on the down low. I've heard he, he injured his kidney when he took that How's ball that in the end zone, and that's not good, and it's been difficult for him to get back in his core to get back on the field. Uh, I think the encouraging part of that is that Alante Taylor has really stepped up in his ass. Yes, he has. The rookie looks like a real find in the second round. I love his fearlessness. I love his competitiveness. Uh, so I think they kind of can weather the storm with those two guys. They can't get Adebo or Taylor hurt because Bradley right. Roby's on IR. They need to be able to keep those guys he- up healthy. P.J. Williams is back practicing. That's a big return. I know uh, you know he doesn't excite a lot of people, but he's a valuable player on their back end. And, look, they're playing the Ravens this week who right. present a, a, a big-time challenge, but not necessarily at wide receiver in the passing game. So, I, And they're I think, missing Rashad Bateman as well. Right, so. and Bateman's out. So this is a week where I think you can survive not having Lattimore. Now, Jarvis Landry practiced yesterday. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad news and how he ended practice. I heard there was a lot of uh, training staff around him. I think yesterday, from what I understood, was going to be his day to get out there and test it. Now, we'll see how he comes out of that today. I'd heard earlier in the week they were really excited about him. He was excited about getting back. But they knew that this practice yesterday was going to be kind of a, a litmus test for him. We'll see how he comes out. I heard he didn't, you know, he was disappointed. So we'll see if he goes forward. Uh, obviously, with Thomas News, you want to get Landry back on the field as soon as possible as well. Andrews Pete came back. It was good to see him. Back on the field, the, the Saints O-line is knock on wood because we know how things go. But 
The Saints line maybe is as healthy as it has been since week one of the, the season. And to me, Dunk, that is going to be super important in this game because Andy Dalton has to have time. I mean, Zach uh, Ewing uh, threw up a stat, or at least in our, in our text feed the other day, about how Andy Dalton, when he has time to throw, when he has a clean pocket, he is one of the top six or seven quarterbacks in the league. That That's not to say whether he's going to have a clean pocket or not. Um, but they're going to have to have time to throw because I think, unlike last week, this week against the Ravens, the Ravens, and we'll, we'll, we'll put the graphic on the screen, but the Ravens, you see there, they're fifth in rushing defense, 28th in passing defense. And so, obviously, for the Saints this week, Dunk, they're going to have to be able to throw the ball. It's not going to be just the kind of Kamara, Taysom pounding attack like they were successful with last week and against Seattle. They're going to have to be able to throw the ball. I think Andy Dalton needs to throw for 300 yards this week for the Saints to win. Well, I think they're going to have to try and run it. I mean, that's their bread and butter. Well, of course, of yeah, course. they're going to—they're definitely going to. That—that's—that's that's how this offense works. Is they're able to be successful running the ball, and then you use the pass to kind of move the chains. They want to be in. I think the key to last week's game that people sometimes don't realize offensively was they were really good on first down. You know, first and second down, Andy Dalton wasn't in these third and twelves and third and nines very often. So they were manageable. He could dump it off to Alvin Kamara, and they could get those first downs. And uh, so that, I think, is the recipe for success. I don't see them just dropping back and throwing a lot. I, I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. But, and, and, look, I could be wrong. I thought the Ra- Raiders game was going to be kind of a shootout, and it was completely opposite of what I thought. Sometimes these games take on a life of their own. But I see this game being in the 20s. I think it's going to be close, competitive, uh, a lot of field goals. you got – you know, great field goal kicker for Baltimore, obviously one of the best of all time. And Will Lutz certainly is capable, but he's had a down year this year. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. I mean, he's he's one of the lowest in the league on percentage basis right now. But you still have confidence in him. And, and I feel like defensively, if we see the Saints play with that same energy and enthusiasm that they had against the Raiders, that's what stood out to me. It wasn't scheme. It wasn't X's and O's. It was – just their effort and they're running to the ball and they're, yeah. you know, the, 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 the body language, you could just see it from the beginning. I, I texted a friend of mine who's a big Raiders fan after the first play, JD. And I said, and he was in the stands. I said, you're getting the Saints any game today. I, you could just see it. I mean, they, they came to play. Now, can they replicate it? That's what it's going to take because when you got a guy like Lamar Jackson, I mean, you've got to run to the ball. Everybody's got to pursue because the guy's so dynamic. All it takes is, one cut, and he's going to take it to the house, and everybody's got to be getting after it, uh, and I think they can be successful if they do that. Yeah, I don't know where I was, where I read this or heard this somewhere this week when I was going through all my analysis. It's just, it's all a blur at this point because I spent basically two full days going through uh, every game and trying to pick our winners, and hence why uh, you and I have both been pretty good with, with picking winners this year. Um, but someone said the Saints are, are – are, the reason why they like the Saints, and a lot of the Sharps are on the Saints, by the way. Um, and the reason why is because the Saints are good against running quarterbacks. And I'm like, I don't know where they got that from, because that is not true, at least not as of late. The Saints against, let's call them dual-threat quarterbacks. So they're not all rushing quarterbacks. If you take the top 10 rushing quarterbacks right now this season, and the Saints' record against them from the start of the 2021 season, the Saints are 1-4 against those quarterbacks. And that, that one win is a fluky, got to be honest, lucky win 
against the Atlanta Falcons in week one because Marcus Mariota is in that top 10. So the Saints do not fare well against running quarterbacks. And Lamar Jackson, no, I mean, we could sit here and debate whatever you want, but Lamar Jackson is by far the best of all the dual threat quarterbacks. Yeah, he's the best running quarterback I think the league has seen since Mike Vick. And of course, you're biased, though. Well, I just got to throw that bias out there because because I know little, I know right? I am, but I, I have to say I've, I've never really seen. <laughs> but he is run the ball like like neither have I. Mar Jackson. I mean, he's like something on a, a Madden cheat code, right? I mean, he's he's different, yeah. and they built the whole offense around his his skill set, which is smart coaching. I think more than anything, you know, I have respect for John Harbaugh and and that staff. I mean that. I don't know what happened with the Raiders on Sunday. I mean, every once in a while, Jim, a team just lays an egg and doesn't show up, and that was the Raiders. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from the Saints, but the Raiders look out of it. They look lifeless. I don't know what that face. They had a lot of they had a lot of illness issues throughout. the Yeah, they just didn't look into it, and and the fake punt was just a disastrous sequence there, where the Saints got a ten nothing lead, almost gifted to them after that bad decision. And they got control of the game. We talk about it on this podcast every week. Getting control of the game is so important. Everything changes when you get a two-score lead. You can manage the game differently. Andy Dalton can check it down. He doesn't have to force things. And and I think he's playing really well right now. He's playing exactly the way the Saints want him to. But this game, I think, Monday night is going to be a physical game. And we talked about – you talked earlier about the offensive line. I thought they played great against the Raiders. And the Absolutely. defensive line played as well as we've seen them play this season. They finally look like the group that we thought we'd see at the beginning of the year. That's going to have to come and replicate itself Monday night because the, the Ravens are physical up front, and it's going to be like a classic AFC North slugfest. And the Saints are good in those kind of games, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as easy as it was against the Raiders. You know, I kind of think uh, I think it's going to be high scoring, actually. I yeah, think it could be. I think they're going to kind of go back and forth with one another. I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I would be, you know, it, Zach put the Saints in a teaser this week. Uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar with, with betting or don't know what a teaser is, basically it's like a parlay. You bet two teams and you have to win both of them, but the, the, you get a gifted six points in the line, whatever it is. So in this case, if you put the Saints in a teaser, you'd be getting the Saints plus eight and a half. And, um, you know, frankly, I, I don't see how – I don't think either team is going to win by more than eight points. I think it's going to be a tight game throughout. Um, again, I'm not giving my prediction yet. We're going to save that for Monday. But I do think it's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be a fun game. Uh, the Ravens were kind of in a slugfest last week with Tampa Bay. Um, and uh, I thought it was interesting to see how John Harbaugh came out with the mentality in that game that they kind of got away from what they really do. In the first half, they decided they were going to throw the ball against Tampa. I'm not sure why they decided to do that, but it, it clearly didn't work. They were trailing at halftime, and they made great adjustments. And no surprise, Todd Bowles didn't make any adjustments at halftime, and the Ravens clearly were much better coached, and the Ravens went on to win. And they put the they put the game on, on the feet of Lamar Jackson. And I think you're going to see that this week. I think you're going to see that from the jump. Uh, because they even if Gus Edwards, who is, is their lead back at the moment, because that J.K. Dobbins is on IR, even if they, even if he's back, he's going to be limited. So Lamar Jackson's going to have to run the ball 15, 18 times. And so, do you put a spy on him? I'm not sure. But if the Saints line defensive front plays like they did last week, I think they will be able to contain him a little bit. Yeah, I think the the key with that is 
keeping Pete Warner and DeMario. Uh, 100%. Keeping those guys free so they can pursue the ball. I mean, they're Pete Warner's playing great right now. And DeMario really Davis is. has really come on. I, I think their linebacking core is, you know, arguably the strength of the team this season. It, it's played very consistently. I saw where Pro Football Focus has Davis ranked as the, the highest graded linebacker in the league so far. I think that would surprise Saints fans. Uh, Pete Warner certainly is is had an incredible sophomore year. Those guys got to be free, making a lot of tackles on the run. And then you got to just you got to pursue Lamar Jackson. Everybody's got to run to the ball. That was something when I noticed on game tape when I'd review the games, the, the Saints weren't running to the ball. I mean, they just weren't showing the effort needed at this level. And they did against the Raiders. They got to bring it again. I think they will. I mean, that's going to be a great atmosphere. It's the first primetime game in the Dome this year. Uh, I think Saints fans will, will show out. And I think they can if they can get Lamar into some obvious passing situations, they can force some turnovers. He'll put the ball into coverage. Oh, there's no question. Yeah, yeah he will definitely put into coverage, and I think they can they can take advantage of that, and that could lead to what you're talking about, a higher-scoring game. I always try to take into consideration turnovers because uh, that always leads to points. I mean, it's usually short fields or, or pick sixes, and that could happen certainly this week. A couple of things. We're about to move on. We've got about 16, 17 minutes left in the show. And, again, I do want to talk about LSU. I want to talk about Tulane. I want to talk about the Pelicans. So that's a tight window to fit those in. And then I uh, also want to just touch on Tennessee, Georgia this weekend. But lastly on the Saints going back, uh, i got a couple comments, um, and just want to put them up here. Donnie writes uh, that Michael Thomas broke almost every receiver in the record in the NFL the year after he signed that contract. Well, that's true, but that doesn't change anything. I mean, the, the fact is the last three years has been a no-show. And, it, and, and, the, and the big problem is here now, even for me, um, i got to be honest, I'm not sure that we ever see him play again. I mean, he, he's about to turn 30 years old. And I, I, I've, I've been saying it since he first went out. I, it, it, I don't understand why they didn't put him on IR. They gave some false hope that he was coming back. But you, you can't believe that he was going to come back. And so now you wonder if he's ever going to come back. And, I mean, the Saints are on the hook for that. We'll, we'll find out. I mean, I'm not ready to say that he's not ever going to come back, but I think that it's certainly a possibility. Ryan asked, uh, he's starting to think the turf may be contributing to all these injuries, Jarvis and James's ankle injury, that we just find out. I don't see the other team getting hurt on this turf. Well, no. Now, this is what he's talking about, I think, maybe Carolina. And that, that was, a, oh, that was okay. an issue. That's where Mike Thomas got hurt. And that's been an issue around the league with that surface in Carolina. Uh, I remember when Mike Maybe. Thomas got hurt. I remember looking through my binoculars as he came out the field and he just run a route and he came out the field and he was talking to the trainers on the sideline, talking about how he made this move and his foot kind of, you know, got caught. But it just seemed minor at the time. And here we are talking about a seasoning injury. And I, I think the frustration and, and it's totally justifiable from fans, is not that he's hurt. It's how they've handled things when he's gotten hurt. Zero down. That's the problem. That's what that's what people – and it's justifiable because a lot of these things could have been handled much quicker or the rehab process would have would accelerated if he'd just be willing to get operated on. And I just think that's been a big issue. And at some point, the, the organization needs to address it publicly because I – understand why fans don't trust what they're what they're hearing right now yeah i mean i think it's as much the 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 organization as it is michael thomas i mean and i i'm probably a little bit harder on michael thomas than i am on the 
on the Saints, but they have handled this poorly, and that's putting it nicely. So, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from how the organization, and it really could be. I mean, we've seen it happen with Zion. Dunk, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, it's the same organization, basically, the same medical staff. And what's happened with Zion? He's finally back after two years. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but that's going to come up at some point. Uh, we, before we move on, I do want to talk about the, the, the schedule and, and see what kind of spot this fits in. Obviously, we know what the Saints have done the last two weeks and last week getting that win, and not just the win, the dominant win, to give them a feeling of confidence and that they can play like that. And if you look at this dunk, they really have an opportunity here. If they can get back to four and five this week and then go to Pittsburgh, there's no, I mean, the Saints are already opened as a two and a half point favorite. And if the Saints beat the Ravens on Monday night, that's going to go up. I mean, they're going to be three or three and a half point favorites in Pittsburgh. Um, Mike Tomlin teams play hard. You don't take anything for granted. But the Rams aren't what the Rams were. So, I mean, the Saints really have a chance here, Dunk, to make something of this season, something I never would have thought we'd say just, I don't know, 14 days ago. Yeah, 100% agree. I think this game's huge on Monday night. The Saints can win it. It really sets them up, I think, momentum-wise to make a run. And that's what you have to do when you get down two and five to start. you got to make a run. Uh, But, look, I've heard internally – Talking to people that Dennis Allen's told people, this is the best team they will have played all year. This is going to be the I biggest challenge they've had. Except San Francisco. The Vikings, who are what, 6-1, and 7-1? and one? So I think Frisco and Philadelphia are probably the two best teams they'll play. But but I, I see, I see so what far. he's talking, saying. He's talking about so far, yeah. yeah. And, and so this is a big challenge. If they can get a win there, and you, you hope that home field advantage kind of carries you in a tight game, you're right. The, the, the schedule certainly becomes a little more user-friendly. You hope you get Lattimore and Landry back at some point, if not this week, uh, down the road, and, and you can make a run. I just was encouraged by the intangibles of that game the other night, the effort, the body language, and the play of both lines, which we thought were going to be the strength of this team, and it hadn't been the case early on. Now, if that carries over, I like their chances in just about anybody they play. Again, we will have our predictions on our Monday live show. That's right, Monday morning at 9.15. Dunk and I will be live again. Uh, we'll both be in the Dome. And, in fact, uh, Zach Ewing and I are going to do the uh, our Bayou Bet show. I believe we're going to do it from the Dome. I'm not 100% sure. We're going to have to figure that out. But uh, that show is, is 4 o'clock on Monday. We'll be live at 9.15 to talk about it. And uh, I will get uh, post-game reaction, and I'll have a special Datitude on Tuesday as well. That will be wherever you find your podcast. That's where Datitude will be. All right, let's move on and talk a little bit. Uh, there are other things going on around this area, we know. And uh, one of them here is Alabama and LSU. And it is an interesting matchup. I, I, first off, regardless of what we think might happen on Saturday, I think you're a hater or you're blind if you don't think that LSU has completely outperformed what anyone thought they would do to this point in the season. If you would have told me, especially after the Florida State game, but even before, if you would have told me that, the, that LSU would be going into the Alabama game ranked 15th and have six wins already, I would have told you you were out of your box. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I think it's a credit to the, to the coaching job that Brian Kelly and his staff have done. They figured out what buttons to push. Look, it's natural, right? you got a new staff, a whole new roster. There's a feeling out process that goes into that. Figure out what the strengths and weaknesses are of your personnel 
And, and, and you're right. I mean, that opening game, I didn't think was nearly as bad as LSU fans were reacting to it. I know they were disappointed. But what also stood out to me was they lost Mason Smith in that game. I mean, he's their best yeah. player. He's, I mean, he's yeah. a first-round draft pick, a high first-round draft pick. So that was discouraging. But they've really put things together. They're playing with confidence. Jaden Daniels looks like a different guy now. I think that you know, is a credit to him. Uh, and I think this game is going to be unbelievable on Saturday. I mean, the first real big, you know, home game. I know they played Tennessee, but it's an afternoon game. The first big home SEC night game in a few years because the Tigers just haven't been very competitive of, of, of late. So this game's going to, uh, I think, have all the makings of a classic. I think it's going to be – I may be swimming upstream on this one, J.D., but I think it's going to be low scoring – I've covered a bunch of these Alabama LSU games. They know each other well, and they tend to be physical defensive battles. I know there's been a little more higher scoring games the last couple of years, uh, but I feel like that's because LSU's defense hasn't been up to its standards. I think the defense is playing well. I think they'll play well. Uh, so I, I think this game will be closer than that points point margin with one caveat, and that is Jaden Daniels got to avoid mistakes because – He's going to face a defensive challenge that he hasn't really seen this year. The way Alabama disguises their coverages, they do a lot of disguise work pre-snap, and they're going to give him some problems, I think. And if he can avoid mistakes, which he's done lately, I think this game will be close. Well, he's definitely going to have to avoid mistakes. But regardless of what happens, and I've said this a hundred times, but the transformation of Jaden Daniels from game one the game number eight and how he has progressed is amazing. I think that's a lot has a lot to do with the coaching staff and what they've been able to do. And I think, uh, you know, the Brian Kelly haters have kind of disappeared. They may reappear if, if it doesn't go the Tigers way this week, but just the coaching staff and what they've been able to do. And I look, I look forward to seeing what Jaden Daniels can do. You're, you think back to Joe Burrow and, and, and the progression that first year, he didn't look like what he turned out to be. I mean, it's amazing to see what, from Joe Burrow from the first game of his junior season to the national championship game, a completely different player. And I'm not saying Jane Daniels is going to be Joe Burrow, but already the improvement I've seen has been absolutely immense. Yeah, look, and I, I think the LSU defense, I mean, let's, let's not forget, I mean, there's some studs over there. They got, yeah. they got some first-round draft picks. They got some five-star recruits, a bunch of four- and five-star recruits over there. They're talented, and this isn't the same like Alabama receiving core we've seen in the past. They, they've That's had to true. make hay with Bryce Young, the running game. They still have a very good offensive line, but I think LSU's defense is playing with confidence. I think they, they're going to keep this thing close. Uh, I don't know if they can win the game or not, but I, I think they're going to give Alabama everything they've got. Now, Alabama, I think, will look at this game as a chance now to kind of reestablish their bona fides with the, with the selection committee or the, the college football playoff committee. Uh, you know that that loss was gut wrenching for them in Tennessee, and uh, they're gonna the state. I mean the Saints. LSU is gonna get their A game. There's no question. Alabama is gonna come to play. Uncle Big Dick brought up a good point on yesterday's attitude where we make our predictions every week, and you know I think it's true. Uh, I think you know you look at the opening uh, playoff uh, odds or rankings or whatever they are, uh, and they put LSU at tenth. And I think that you know they can manipulate that any way they want. And I think that's manipulated to, to make both Alabama and T Tennessee, their resume, look better because no one expects LSU to win this game. I mean, no one with realistic 
who's realistic about this. I mean, LSU's only a 13-and-a-half-point dog, but, I mean, it would be one of the shocks of the season if, if LSU were to win this game. Tennessee beating Alabama, that's one thing. They showed why they're one of the best teams in the country. But you look back in the way LSU played against Tennessee, I mean, so the fact that LSU is number 10, they don't belong that high, and it is going to strengthen the resume of Alabama and Tennessee. That being said, um, LSU has a, a serious opportunity to get themselves back. I mean, as, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, they can win the SEC West if they win this game. I know. And, and, and actually are probably are the favorites to win the SC West if they win this game. So, I mean, they put themselves in legitimate contention to be in the playoffs if they win. Yeah, and look, Brian Kelly took this job to, to play or to play, to coach in games like this. I mean, this is why he came here. That's right. I mean, he left Notre Dame, one of the, you know, traditionally great programs in college football history. So he came here to be able to win a national title and to match wits with guys like Nick Saban. And what I've always said is, uh, you know, you've got to have great coaching in the SEC, especially in the SEC West, because Nick Saban, you know, it's going to everything's going to even out as far as athleticism and talent on the playing field. Then it comes down to what's your staff doing with your with what the resources they have. And in the past, LSU has not been able to match Saban and his staff. I mean, they, they've had the same level of talent for the most part. Look at the NFL. The two of the, I think, three uh, – programs with the most players in the NFL are LSU and Alabama. So that had been a talent problem. It's been a matching wits with the, maybe the greatest coach in college football history and his staff. And they have yeah. an army of analysts. LSU's finally gotten up, I think, resource-wise to match them. Now they've got to get brain power-wise to match them. And I think they've got that now with Brian Kelly. It's not, I don't think it's going to happen overnight. This roster was too far down to expect them to, to do it. But what I've seen so far, I've been really impressed with Brian Kelly, and that's why Scott Woodward hired him. He, he hired a CEO, a guy that can hire really good young assistants, motivate them, and we're seeing it all take place and, and manifest itself right now with this program. About seven to ten minutes left in the live portion of the show if you want to jump in and get your, get your comment or a question, and it could be on anything. It could be the, the Saints will answer it, uh, even though we've, we've, you know, switched topics here. Be glad to answer it. Uh, if you want to give a prediction, that, that's fine. But, again, we're going to have a Monday show. You want to give a prediction on Alabama, LSU, or you want to ask about the Pelicans, this is pretty much your last chance. Again, about seven to ten minutes left. Uh, before we move on and just touch on Tulane Tulsa, um, I do want to get your prediction. I think I've, I've already heard it. The LSU Tigers, as I speak, are 13-and-a-half-point underdogs. The over-under is 56-and-a-half. I agree with you that it's going to be a lower scoring game. I think it is. I think the under is a good bet on there, uh, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But your game prediction? Yeah, I think it'll be something like you know twenty four twenty Alabama. I think this goes down to the fourth quarter. Alabama kind of grinds it out. Uh, if you look at some of their other games this year, <clears throat> very similar type of games. Texas, Texas A and M. They've been kind of low scoring defensive slugfests. I, I think that's what's going to happen again here. Uh, but I, I think LSU's got a puncher's chance in this game. I really do. I think if they could get on top early somehow, and I would love to see Brian Kelly, his staff, pull some kind of trick play to manufacture some points, get the crowd into it. I think they could they could pull this thing off. I, I'm not. I don't think it will happen. I wouldn't bet it that way. But I definitely give LSU a, a chance to win this game. And if they do that, JD, it's going to be nuts in Baton Rouge Saturday night. LSU plus 400 on the money line. So if you think the Tigers are going to win, yeah, that's right, plus 400, four to one. 
So you can go, uh, you can go and bet four to one, or you put ten bucks on it, you win. I'm not telling you to do that, by the way. Not advocating you to do that. But if you were to do that, if you were to put ten bucks on LSU and they were to win, you would win forty bucks at Caesar's Sportsbook, which is the official odds partner of bet.nola.com, by the way. Uh, all right, uh, Uncle Big Nick says uh, if LSU gets down early. Like they have been, they have no shot. I couldn't agree with 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 that anymore. Donnie says he hopes LSU isn't as conservative with their play calling. I don't think they've been conservative. I don't agree with that at all. I don't think they've been conservative at all. Uh, I, if you call running Jaden Daniels conservative, that's just part of their offense. I don't necessarily think that's conservative. That's just who they are. They're certainly going to try to get John Emery involved, uh, and he is available for this game. So um, I, I I don't think that. That's conservative. I don't agree with that. All right, Uncle Big Nick also says, does the rain help or hurt or I'll shoot? Well, it's supposed to rain early. So yeah. the good news is the rain is should be well over. It may be a, a, a wet turf. Oh, okay, Donnie, that makes sense. I'm sorry. He says in the past versus Bama. They have been conservative at times. Now, not, not in the national championship year because Joe Burrow was, was just – that was the shootout between him and two, and that was one of the craziest games you, you'll ever see. All right, my prediction, I'm all over the place here as we – I'm trying to get everything in. Um, I hope you're right, Dunk. I hope it is tight. Um, I do like the under, but the reason why I like the under is I'm thinking back to going back again to Joe Burrow's junior year, and we talk about the progression that he made from junior to senior year. I don't think Jaden Daniels is ready for this yet. As as much as I've been um, tooting his horn and will toot his horn, no matter what he does in this game, because I think he's been fantastic, I just don't think he – I think he's going to be deer in the headlights for this one. I think he'll be ready for them next year when they play him in Tuscaloosa, but I don't think he's going to be ready for them this year. And honestly, I don't think that the – as well as the defense has played, I mean, I still think Bryce Young is the best college quarterback in the country. I, I mean, I really do. And so I think they're going to have a tough time with that. I think it's going to be kind of like that that Joe Burrow junior year game, and I think LSU – I was there in Tiger Stadium that night when they lost 29 to nothing. I'm not saying that LSU is going to get shut out, but I don't think they're going to score a whole lot either. I agree with that. I think so, they'll struggle to score. And I agree with Big Nick. They don't need to get down 14 nothing in the first quarter. That no, that, then it's over. Recipe I mean, for disaster. Yeah, I mean, it's a, they're not coming back from that. So LSU, if they have any chance at all, has to, has to take the lead. And quite frankly, I think they need to be at least leading or tied at halftime. If the LSU is not leading or tied at halftime, they're not winning this football game. So, but anyway, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's going to be somewhere along the lines of twenty-seven to seven. Um, hope I'm wrong. Uh, hope LSU comes out and plays well. This is just not a good matchup for them. That being said, I do think after this game, I think they win. They win the rest of their regular season games, and I think they're a much better team than Texas A&M or Arkansas, quite frankly. And to even be able to say that, because I wouldn't have said that four or five weeks ago. Um, right. It's kind of amazing, and great job by Brian Kelly. All right, I don't, do not have a graphic for Tulane Tulsa, uh, Dunk, but uh, Tulane ranked number 19 in the country. What a job by Willie Fritz. Um, and they, the defense for this Tulane team has been outstanding. I do worry coming off of a bye week and going on the road, this is not the greatest of spots of them. We talked about the, their end-of-season schedule against Cincinnati and SMU, and I think they're going to play great in those games. Tulane a seven and a half point favorite going into Tulsa. If I had to bet it, and I won't, I would take Tulsa because I think it's going to be a really tight game, and this is a, clearly a spot where Tulane could be looking ahead and have a letdown. 
100% agree with that. I mean, this is a dangerous, dangerous game. Uh, your head's in the clouds. You had the big homecoming win against Memphis. Then you get a bye week. Uh, yeah, this is where really Fritz and his staff will be tested and the leadership of the team to have them focus. But I do think one thing I like about this Tulane team is they have been kind of focused. they got a lot of guys on the team that played a lot of football. they got a lot of seniors and upperclassmen that get it. So I think I think Tulane will win the game, but I think Tulsa is a dangerous team. They, they played a lot of close games and lost. They've had kind of one of those years, kind of like Tulane had last year, where you lose a yeah. lot of close games and, and your record gets lopsided the other way. So I think this is a dangerous game, especially with Central Florida on the horizon in Muleman. Right. Easy to look ahead there. Uh, so I'm sure Willie Fritz and his staff have hammered that home. And I think it comes down, I think Michael Pratt will have a big game against Tulsa, and, and this team will be able to edge it out. But I think, what's the line, seven and a half points? That's seven a lot. And a half. Yeah, that That's is a lot. lot to lay on the on the road. If I were betting, I would, I'd be hesitant to lay those points. Yeah, that just seems like a trap. Uh, yep. So, I, I would, again, I'm not going to touch that game. Uh, going back real quick, Uncle Big Nick asked, 74% of the bets on the Saints are we surprised? I got to say yes. Um, wow, that's I think, a lot. I, I would say the the analyst uh, th- that's sharp money, and I've heard nothing but sharps all week long. I mean, I listen to them. I don't necessarily, um, you know, a- agree with them or. Di- I mean, I'm not going to say whether I agree or not, but you know, I try to help base my analysis on every game, basing basing a lot of what I hear from the three or four people that that I trust. And uh, all of them are on the Saints this week, and I don't, I don't agree. I don't, not that I don't agree. I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, I know that some people think it's a value. The Saints are two and a half point dogs, but here's what I don't get: they were one and a half point dogs to the Raiders, who I don't think are good at all, and they're only a two and a half point dog to the Ravens, who I think are a clearly. You take out Buffalo and Kansas City, and then Buffalo's the. I mean, Baltimore is definitely the next team in the AFC, in my opinion. Yeah, and look, I, th- I think in my history of, of looking at lines, one thing I've always been leery of is the two to two and a half point line. Yeah. And that always indicates. Or the three and a half. That, yeah, the odds makers are trying to get you to go one way. 100%. You know, they're, they're saying Ravens people, hey, look at that. All they got to do is win by a field goal. So yeah, two they're begging you to bet on the Ravens. Yeah, they're trying to get you to bet on the Ravens. So that does indicate, I think, the Sharps inclination to take the Saints there, a home dog. The Saints record as a home dog the last few years has not been what it used to be. But I know in the Sean Payton year, I used to document they were they were almost like a hundred percent winner. Yeah. Not only did they cover, they would win the game outright. Now this is a different era and a different uh, you know iteration of the Saints, but uh you know historically they've been good in that spot. Yeah, I haven't done my trends column yet and that's one of the things that I will look at. I think I saw somewhere where they have lost four in a row. They, well, they had lost four in a row against the spread at home before last week. Um, Struggled at home, man. They, you know, until last week, I think they only won one of their last like eight, nine games. In the yeah, game. it's been not the usual Saints uh, home performance for sure. I'll get into all that again every uh, every Sunday. It'll be Monday this week. Have a, a trends column, and you know, not not all of it is is pertinent to whether we think how to how to pick a winner, but. There's a lot of interesting things in there and showing you, like, you know, and I also get into the, the, the quarterbacks and how they fared against the other team. I will tell you this. Lamar Jackson has only rushed 
uh, three times against the Saints, and he's only thrown one pass. He came in a backup, uh, well, not a backup. He came in a Taysom Hill type role uh, when Joe Flacco was still the quarterback. And here's another thing that worries me, Dunk. Justin Tucker is going to have extra motivation in this game. He doesn't forget. He doesn't forget. And four years ago, missing an extra point against the Saints, he's probably only missed like three extra points in his whole life. And one of them was against the Saints that ended up costing them the game. So he's going to have extra motivation in this one. Yeah, I'll never forget that game. I covered that game. That was shocking. (laughs) You know, unbelievable game, comeback by the Ravens. And And I think he doinked the field goal as well. Yeah, look, I, I think this game will be like that one, though. Tight. I agree. Physical. And uh, every once in a while, you're right. The, the Ravens are a higher-scoring team than people think. I mean, every once in a while, they can drop Lamar back. And he's not an accurate passer, but, man, he can he can throw a he haymaker. He can zip it. Yeah, he can throw a haymaker and get some big plays. They've got to defend the tight end this week. The Ravens. Oh, and, and Mark, Mark Andrews, yeah, he's been questionable, but I, he's going to play in this game. And that's his. That's his. That's Lamar Jackson's security blanket. So there's yep. no question they have to to cover him. And the him. rookie they've got, uh, Isaiah Lively. Yes, what he so is they're, picked. They're dangerous, and that's something really the Saints haven't seen a lot of. They were fortunate last week when when Darren Waller was was uh, you know listed out for the game. Yeah. A lot of people thought he might play. That helped a lot, but it's going to be a big challenge this week. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that on Monday for sure because Isaiah Lively is another name. I mean, he he was uh, – a lot of people picked him higher in fantasy than, than maybe people expected. But I will tell you this about the Ravens. I can tell you both Buffalo and Kansas City, they don't want to be on the side of the bracket of one another, but right. they don't want to be on the side of the bracket of Baltimore either because no. they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. I can For either one of those teams, I can promise you that. Uh, that is going to be interesting. All right. Before we end the show, we've got to talk about the Pelicans. We don't have to, but we are going to talk about the Pelicans. Uh, what a heartbreaker on Wednesday night, Dunk. I don't know if you stayed up to watch all that or not. I did. Um, and the poor kid, Dyson Daniels, missing those two free throws that will put away. The, that, those are two free throws that will haunt him and haunt his team at some point. If they're close to, you know, there's a huge difference between four seed and five seed, and that's where we're thinking about where this Pelicans team could be. So if, if, if you miss that four seed and get that home court advantage later in the season, you're going to think back to November and think about two missed free throws and in a crazy three-point shot by some guy named Matt Ryan, nonetheless. <laughs> I know. Look, I did not make it to the end. I have to confess, I, I watched till halftime. I was so tired. I had to go to sleep, and I got the next morning, watched all the, the replay on the league pass, and that's that. That was a tough loss, man. But uh, look, they got a huge game in the Smoothie King Center tonight. Defending champions coming to town. The Warriors, Steph Curry, Three and six. Yeah, who, who they lost all five of their road games. Zero and that's five, insane. including to the one and seven Orlando Magic last night. So, like, this is a team that uh, is going to be motivated. They're going to be coming back home after this, so they're going to want to get a win and get back to the Bay Area. Uh, but uh, I think the Smoothie King Center is going to be rocking tonight. The Pelicans are favorite. I think four-point favorites. Uh, and there is good news on that front. Sounds like they might be getting Herb Jones back. Uh, and and Brandon have, Ingram. And Brandon Ingram. So this team, they'll, they'll be inspired after letting that one slip away against the Lakers. I, I think they're going to they're gonna be amped for this game. The Pelicans indeed are four-point favorites, minus 180 on the money line, which Vegas that means Vegas has them at a 1.8 to 1 favorite to beat the Golden State Warriors tonight. And uh, that's interesting because I don't think you would have 
would have saw that come before the season started. This team is playing very well. They're four and three. Um, and so you, you talk about you make one of those free throws and you're five and two. And with the tough schedule that they've opened with, it's quite impressive. And now they have a stretch where, you know, they came off the road trip. They get to come home for one game and go back on the road. But at the Hawks and at the Pacers, and I know Atlanta's playing very well right now. I think that's decent matchups for both all those games, really. Well, what I want to see tonight against the Warriors is a little better defensive intensity. I think yes. that, in in the end, is going to be how this team either sinks or rises. I mean, how they play D, there were some momentary lapses against the Lakers that you just can't have in a game like that. I mean, that, that game should have been around the 100-point mark or 110. I know it went overtime, but they've got to play better defense tonight, especially against a team that could – Let's face it, I mean, the greatest shooting team in the history of the NBA. So the perimeter defense will be tested. Uh, I think the depth of this team clearly is one of its strengths. I don't quite understand why Dyson Daniels was in the game the other night when he was. I know he's a good free throw shooter, uh, you know, statistically, but, uh, you know, a 19-year-old kid in that situation, uh, you know, that that might pay off for him down the road, getting tested that way. 100%. But, man, that was a tough way to lose a game. He just makes one of them. Just needs to make one of them. Yeah, I think that those are the kind of things that, that build character. I know I mean, people don't want to hear that, that stuff a lot of times, but it, they do. And, and you talk about you'd rather it happen in November than happen in March. I mean, so when you, when you go down the line, you can think back to that. And if he's put in that situation again, I, I'd be willing to bet he's not going to make just one of them. He's going to make both of them. He's going to be thinking about that for a long time. Those things build character. And this, this, this kid's going to be a good player. You could, you could see it. Uh, and uh, I, I, th- I think they're, they're in a good spot. Um, okay, we are just about going to wrap up the show here today. Uh, dunk final thoughts. Uh, again, we're going to give our predictions on Monday's live show, 9-15 on Monday, uh, wherever you get your podcast as well. You and I will both be in the Dome as well on Monday night. Um, just final thoughts on where the Saints are or wherever you want to take it. Well, let me throw something, a little curveball at you. Okay. I'm, as a horse racing guy, I'm fired up. This is Breeders' Cup weekend. Yeah. And I would encourage, if you're not a big horse racing fan, but you're just kind of a casual sports fan, everyone's going to have their eyes locked on LSU Alabama. But if you get a chance, turn on the Breeders' Cup for the Classic on Saturday because there's a horse called Flightline running that literally in the sport of horse racing, this is one of the generational talents that we've ever seen in the sport. I mean, we're talking about a horse that might be American Pharaoh, Secretariat-like. Uh, and he's going to be running in the Classic for $2 million. Uh, i just say, as a casual sports fan, if you're interested in seeing greatness, turn that thing on for two minutes and watch that horse run because it's going to be pretty special. Uh, and I believe, if I, if I remember correctly, because I don't have it and I'm not, a, I'm not a horse racing guy, but I believe that Caesars now has its live horse racing app. You can yes. go... You can go and bet horse racing on your phone now, just like you bet any other sport, which I was waiting for it to come, and it's here. So uh, I may take Dunk's tip, and I may go uh, put a little something on Well, there. you're not going to get great odds. It's probably going to be one to nine. But, but, one to uh, nine, wow. Just to watch this horse run, I mean, uh, you know, Tom Amos always talks about the great trainer here from New Orleans, always talks about the athleticism of the athletes that he trains. He goes, it's no different than human athletes. He said, when you watch this horse run, he just skips across the dirt. I mean, it, it, he's not hitting the ground hard. It's like when you see Lamar Jackson run. It looks like it's effortless. That's the way this horse runs. Is the way American Pharaoh ran as well. By, by the way, you and I, we never, we, 
we failed to touch on it, but uh, the biggest college football game of the year, I think, so far, you yep. and I both like Georgia to cover minus eight. Love and, it. And part of the reason for me, and I, and I, you, you mentioned it in your column, is that uh, everybody and their grandma is on Tennessee this week. And Vegas doesn't lose like that. I mean, there's a, there's a reason why this line is what it is. And, uh, you know, you and I were talking off the air. When it comes down to Kirby Smart, Georgia's been kind of lying in the weeds a little bit, waiting for this game. And I think they're going to have something for Mr. Hooker on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, the defense is – he hasn't faced a defense like that all year. Alabama's not this up to the Alabama standards of defense. And, look, they played most of their big games at home. I know they played – I pointed this out in my column – I know they went to Baton Rouge and won. That was a day game, and it was a fluke. I mean, they got a fumble on the opening kickoff. They had a big, long punt return. They got control of that game early, kind of took the crowd out of the game. That ain't going to be the case between the hedges. This thing's going to be a thing, uh, you know, a a bloodbath down there. I mean, and so I think they're going to give them everything they want. I love Georgia in this game. I think it's one of those rare occasions where you get, you know, kind of a convergence of events that leads to an out-of-whack line. Yeah, And uh, I think lay the points. I think lay the points, and I certainly like the under. Yes. Uh, it's, it's not – I don't usually like to lay eight and take the under, but I think this is a case where that's what we're going to have. I think you're talking about 27 to 14 or 20, somewhere along those lines. Tennessee's only going to score 14 points? Yeah, I think Tennessee's uh, – this isn't going to be your regular Tennessee game. I know their offense has been outstanding, and Hendon Hooker has been incredible. Um, and he may win the high, he may go on and win the Heisman. I don't know, but this is not going to be his game. That being said, look, Tennessee is going to fight and claw because they know even if they lose this game, as long as they can keep it close, they're still going to have an excellent chance to get in the playoff. If they get blown out, maybe not so much. So we'll be watching to see what happens there because we all know that uh, the SC championship game, whoever wins this game is going to be in the SC championship game. My final thought is again, it's going to be a fun – I mean, this is one of those weekends you look forward to yep. uh, for sure, and we're going to have fun with it. Uh, yeah, LSU, Bama, Tulane, Tulsa, Saints on Monday night, Tennessee, Georgia, a full plethora of of, of NFL games on Saturday. And it, the, the thing I like is when the Saints aren't on, you can actually sit back, watch the red zone, and, and just see what's going on, Dunk. You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about what the Saints are doing. No, it's a great weekend for sports. Uh, in our market. Um, and look, we're having a, the Saints can kind of get back in this thing. We could be looking at a really epic football season, you know, with Tulane, how they're, how they're going in the American athletic. They have a chance to make a New Year's Day bowl game for the first time in a long time. And then LSU's surprising success. If they were to somehow pull off the upset and the stun Alabama, uh, they're in the driver's seat in the West. So th- th- this has turned into a very compelling season. I think very surprising for a lot of local fans, you know, that, Maybe he had lower expectations when the season started. Dennis Allen won't have to worry about too many critics, at least for a little while, if, they're, <laughs> if they can find a way to win this game. I mean, all the people, uh, and, and me as of late, to be honest, uh, who have been on his case, no one's going to be on his case if they win this game and get to four and five because I think Atlanta's going to lose to the Chargers. Um, I think the Bucks will beat the Rams, and I think there's an – if the Saints win, I think there'll be a three-way tie atop the NFC South, and uh, wouldn't that be fun? I mean, just going down the stretch. So. One thing I've always said about this run that the Saints have been on since even back 
to when Hazlitt was here, you know, and people like to bang around Jim Hazlitt. That was when I started covering the team, but the Saints have been relevant for a long time. They haven't, they yes, had they have. one bad season. That was Katrina season. You have to throw that one out. That was extraordinary circumstances. Otherwise, they haven't had a, a four and 12. They haven't played hardly any games where there's not something on the line. Not they since Dickola. Not yeah. in a century. And that just doesn't happen, J.D. Do not take that for granted. And so I think that's the charge right now. Just get back in the mix and have relevant games where you got something on the line to play for. I think the Saints, the Saints have a chance to do that. Well, let's have fun with it, and let's talk again on Monday and uh, see how we feel, again, given our predictions. And we welcome everyone back, and uh, they can give their comments and questions. We'll see you on Monday, Dunk. All right, see you later. Talk to you, J.D. And we will talk to Jeff Duncan on Monday. A rare, just, it's always strange when the Saints play on a different day than you're used to. It, it just is. I mean, we had the Thursday night game a couple weeks ago, and I mean, the good news was I got a few days off, and that, that kind of helped, but Mondays are weird. So I think going forward, if I remember correctly, this is, I mean, I don't remember the schedule by heart. I think this is it for, do they have another? No, they have a Saturday game uh, coming up. That, that's towards the end of the season. We'll worry about that then. But uh, we, we are going to wrap up the show because it has been a long one. We've gotten into all sorts of things. that We, we talked about pretty much everything we wanted to talk about. Um, again, I'm done talking about Michael Thomas, at least for now. He may come up in a little joke here or there, but I'm done. I've told you what I think, um, and I think fans need to move on. And we're simply going to focus on Ravens Saints on Monday. Does that sound good? And I know you're going to be focused on LSU, Alabama, Tulane, Tulsa, Tennessee, Georgia, and then being able to watch football on Sunday and not worrying whether your team loses. You can root against Atlanta. They're playing the Chargers. You can root against the Panthers. They're playing Joe Burrow and the Bengals. You can root against Tampa Bay. They're playing the Rams. Just think, it'd be quite a fun. So if you get the trifecta on Sunday and then the Saints win, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but it, it could be an L. I mean LSU, Alabama. I mean, you could get a seriously. This could be one hell of a weekend. Is it going to happen? Who knows? If you get like four out of six, that'd be pretty good, right? We haven't had one of those really good weekends in a while. Maybe not a really really good one all year. I think I think we're due. So my final thought on Michael Thomas is uh, we're going to go out of this show and go into the weekend like this. We always try to find a song that kind of, I don't know, encapsulates our feelings and the song of the times or the song of, you know, how things are going. So I decided to do an anti-Mike Thomas song because when you and I get knocked down, we get back up again. We're never going to let them keep us down. You heard me? I know that you did, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to get back up no matter what happens over the weekend, no matter how much fun we have over the weekend, no matter how we feel on Monday morning, we're going to get back up and do it all over again. We will see you then. Have a wonderful weekend, my friends. Peace and love. Okay.